question for you. Have you ever experienced unmet expectations? You don't have to raise your hand. But have you ever had something or someone just not live up to what you expected, right? Maybe a restaurant you were told about was an amazing restaurant. You got to try this out. And you went to it and it it wasn't as good as you'd hoped. Or you've been to a movie or or a concert and, and you were just, you were let down, right? How about this? Have you ever... Uh, have you ever been the unmet expectation, right? Have you ever felt that you just didn't meet the expectations others had for you? You know, have you ever been somewhere uh, um, and, and, and moments into it, you just felt like you were, you were no longer wanted there, right? I don't normally title messages, but today I did. It's titled, Welcome Not Welcome. I want you to take a minute real quick I want you to say hello to someone around you. And I want you to just, a moment that you went somewhere and you just, it didn't meet your expectations. Can't be here, somewhere else. Um, but somewhere you went, restaurant, movie, concert, game, something you did that you can remember that just, it didn't meet your expectations. Take a minute, say hello to someone around you and share that just for a moment. Then we'll come back. All right, I hope many of you had a chance to, to share. I heard someone up here say uh, um, every Tennessee game I've ever watched. Is that, is that what you said? Uh, <laughs> yeah. He tried to throw a jab at Michigan. Thanks, Mason. All right. Hey, so uh, we're in the story of God told by a tax collector. In other words, we're in Matthew's gospel, walking through the story of God and through his eyes. Um, And today I want to read um, Matthew 21. That's where we're at. We left off last week in Matthew 20. And what had just happened um, or what's going on now is Jesus is traveling with his disciples and his followers. They're headed into Jerusalem. And he uh, just spent the last two chapters reminding his disciples, reminding his followers that in his kingdom... The first must be last. That's just what Tim had just read. That this was an upside-down, countercultural kingdom where the last become first and the first become last and, and possibly are left out altogether. That in his kingdom, those that have power will use it to help those without power. And if you want to be great, you must serve and give your life for the other. So in this part of the story, uh, Jesus goes from welcome to, to not welcome pretty quick. That these people, they have expectations of a Messiah and Jesus wasn't meeting them or 
or, or was he? And so let's read together. We're in Matthew 25, uh, 21. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and so it's the, on the screen behind me. I'm going to read through the, the message version. It's called the Royal Welcome. Verse 1 says, When they neared Jerusalem, having already arrived at Bethphage of Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, say this. The master needs them, and then he will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a fowl of a pack animal. The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and the colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus mounted. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed all of them, calling out, Hosanna to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in the highest heaven. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, unnerved. People were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? The parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12, Jesus went straight to the temple and threw out everyone who had set up shop, buying and selling. He kicked over the tables of loan sharks and these stalls of dove merchants. He quoted this text, my house was designated a house of prayer and you have made it a hangout for thieves. Now there was, now there was room for the blind and crippled to get in. They came to Jesus and he healed them. And when the religious leaders saw the outrageous things he was doing, and heard all the children running and shouting through the temple, Hosanna to David's son. They were up in arms and took him to, to task. Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said, yes, I hear them. And haven't you read in God's word from the mouths of children and babes that I'll furnish a place of praise? Verse 17, fed up, Jesus turned on his heel and left the city for Bethany where he spent the night. Early the next morning, Jesus was returning to the city. He was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree alongside the road, he approached it, anticipating a breakfast of figs. When he got to the tree, there was nothing but fig leaves. He said, no more figs from this tree ever. And the fig tree withered on the spot, a dry stick. The disciples saw it it happen, and they rubbed their eyes, saying, did we really see this? A leafy tree one minute, a dry stick the next. But Jesus was matter of fact, yes, and if you embrace the kingdom life and don't doubt God, you'll not only do minor feats like I did to the fig tree, but also triumph over huge obstacles. This mountain, for instance, you'll tell, go jump in the lake and it will jump. Absolutely everything ranging from small to large as you make it a part of your believing prayer gets included as you lay hold of God. And then he was back in the temple teaching. The high priests and leaders of the people came up and demanded, show us your credentials. Who authorized you to teach here? And Jesus responded, first, let me ask you a question. You answer my question and then I'll answer yours about John the Baptist. Who authorized it, heaven or humans? And they were on the spot and they knew it. They pulled back into a huddle and whispered, if we say heaven, he'll ask us, then why didn't we believe him? 
If we say humans, we're up against it with the people because they all hold John up as a prophet. So they decided to concede that round to Jesus. We don't know, they answered. And Jesus said, well, neither will I answer your question. Verse 28, tell me what you think of this story. A man had two sons. He went up to the first and said, son, go out for the day and work in the vineyard. The son answered, I don't want to. But later on, he thought better of it and he went. And then the father gave the same command to the second son. He answered, sure, I'm glad to. But he never went. Which of the two sons did the father, that the father asked, uh, which of the two sons did what the father asked? Well, they said the first. And Jesus said, yes. And I tell you that crooks and whores are going to precede you into God's kingdom. John came to you and showing you the right road. And you turned up your noses at him. But the crooks and the whores believed him. Even when you saw their lives change, you didn't care enough to change and believe him. Here's another story. Listen closely. There once was a man, a wealthy farmer who planted a vineyard. He fenced it, dug a wine press, put up a watchtower, and then turned it over to the farmhands and went off on a trip. When it was time to harvest the grapes, he sent his servants back to collect the profits. The farmhands grabbed the first servant and beat him up. The next one they murdered. They threw stones at the third, but he got away. The owner tried again, sending more servants, and they got the same treatment. The owner was at the end of his rope. He decided to send his son. Surely, he thought, they will respect my son. But when the farmhands saw the son arrive, they rubbed their eyes in greed. This is the heir. Let's kill him and have it all for ourselves. And so they grabbed him, threw him out, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard arrives home from his trip, what do you think he will do to the farmhands? Well, he'll kill them, a rotten bunch and good riddance, they answered. Then he'll assign the vineyard to farmhands who will hand over the prophets when it's time. And Jesus said, right. And you can read it for yourself in your Bibles. The stone the masons threw out is now the cornerstone. This is God's work. We rub our eyes. We can hardly believe it. This is the way it is with you. God's kingdom will be taken back from you and handed over to the people who will live out a kingdom life. Whoever stumbles on this stone gets shattered Whoever the stone falls on gets smashed. And when the religious leaders heard this story, they knew it and was aimed at, that it was aimed at them. They wanted to arrest Jesus and put him in jail. But intimidated by the public opinion, they held back. Most people held him to be a prophet of God. In other translations, it says they wanted to kill him. Jesus, in a short amount of time, went from welcome to not welcome. I'm not sure where you are this morning in terms of this whole, this whole God thing. The idea of church, um, and you're here, and that's, that's a great start, right? But what are you expecting from me, from this church, from, from God? Let me ask you this question, right? What, what comes to your mind when I say God? What comes to your mind when I say Jesus? What do you, what do you think about when you, th- when you think of God? What do you believe about God, about Jesus, about the church, about this church, the Bible, about pastors, about other Christians? Maybe you believe the story. You believe God sent his only son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin named Mary, who died on a cross and rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit to guide us until he returns. Maybe you're a doubter or a skeptic. 
Maybe you don't believe in talking snakes or people coming back from, the, from dead. You don't like preachers. You're not happy about the church or religion as an institution. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle, looking, searching for hope, searching for answers, maybe the truth. Open to hear something today, something that might give you hope. So I'm not sure what your mindset is when you walked in this morning. A.W. Tozer, uh, he's a famous church leader, Christian writer, theologian. In his book, Knowledge for the Whole, he says this. Whatever comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Whatever comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, how we see God, how we view God, how we see our connection with him, our purpose, what we believe is the most important thing about us. How we view God determines how we will live in this world. Because as humans created in the image of God, we now are all image bearers. So if you see God as an angry, mean, violent, disconnected, judging your life kind of God, if that's what you think, that will have a profound effect on how you live out your faith. Or if you think God is love, forgiving to sinners, kind to the ungrateful, merciful to the wicked, if you believe that about God, well, that will impact how we do life together or or how we do church. So maybe you have different thoughts about Jesus He's a pushover, he's weak, or he's strong, he's never changing, he's angry, he's loving, unrelatable, he's too busy for me, I'm too busy for him. There's just a religious idea. The reality is, is that you and I, we have to all come to face with the fact that there is something about this Jesus that incites riots, wars, anger, moments of imaginable compassion and forgiveness and grace. Love for our enemies? What is it about Jesus that so many people would follow him that a story that is over 2,000 years old, people would still be telling today? That people would believe and they would give their life to this story. This guy who was born in a cave, he escaped his homeland as a refugee. How could this infant be a threat to a king? How could a child threaten an entire kingdom? Who did they think Jesus was? What did they think Jesus was going to do? The truth is is that Jesus came to a real world at a real time in history, at a very political time. And it was an extremely uh, welcomed and not welcome moment for him. But nonetheless, he enters into history in a real way, but in a way that that no one expected. He introduces a new kingdom where the rich are now poor, The outsider is now the insider. The first are now last. The unclean are welcomed at the table and the other is invited in. And this did not go over well with those who were expecting him. The religious culture and the religious people, they did not want the Jesus that they got. He was not what they wanted and not what they had hoped for. Or at least he, at the very least, he wasn't acting like they wanted him to act. He wasn't doing it the way They would have done it. And I believe that today's culture is not much different. Right time, wrong Jesus. Some of us have these expectations of Jesus and the church that are not biblical or gospel driven, but political or national. 
or just selfish. See, I talk about politics from time to time. You may hear some of that today. It's a very easy topic to discuss because it's usually something that we all can agree on, right? But honestly, for me, politics and talking about them are important because I define politics as the way you and I share this common space for the good of people. One Sunday after saying a few things, I walked off stage and immediately I had a few people say to me, hey, great job. Thank you for saying that. And I was kind of feeling good about it. I feel people may have got my message, got my heart behind it. And I got to the back of the church and a woman who I'd never met before, she stopped me because she had a question. She says, we're looking for a church home when we visit from out of state. We've been to several churches in the area and we, we really like the pastor of that other church. But here we like the music. All right, I didn't take it personal, but, 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 but I have a question, she says. She says, why don't you guys blank? And she had, she, she had a question. And it was a great question. I, I had been asked that question before. The question wasn't anything new. And I had an answer to it. It wasn't a rehearsed answer. And the way I answered it usually depends on who was asking and, and how I'm being asked. You can usually tell what, what the motive is in a question. And so I started to say, well, this is where we land on this particular topic. Because what you're asking about isn't a part of every church's denomination or, or in the Christian denomination itself. And before I could even finish that sentence, she pats me on the shoulder and says, that's okay, you don't have to finish. We're, we're not on the same page. And, and she walked off. Now, can I be honest? <laughs> I had a plethora of emotions in that moment. Um, one was anger. I wanted to follow her out and help her down the stairs. I mean, come on, that's rude, that's rude right? You don't, you don't ask someone a loaded question like that and then don't listen for the answer or the reasoning, right? That's, that's not nice, whether you agree with me or not. And that's probably the biggest cause of division in our culture today, we, the unwillingness to listen to each other. If we could just sit down and talk and hear each other's hearts and reason. And to be honest, a confession of a pastor, I was sort of happy she left, Right? Because I wasn't worried about her relationship with God, right? She wasn't walking away from church, just this church. And that's okay. There are other great churches. I've told you recently the story of a the boy named Timmy who lived in my neighborhood as a kid. And whenever we, he would get mad or disagree about something, he would take his ball and go home, right? Nobody likes a kid who takes his ball and goes home, right? Don't be a Timmy is what we said. See, our faith needs to be a gracious playing field where all are welcome to play. But I was thinking in that moment that this, if this particular thing bothered her, she, she hadn't seen anything yet, right? You know, I, like, I was starting to get the feeling that she wasn't getting her, her money's worth. Not that she gave money, but, but this was not the reason to leave. So if, if, if I was like, if, and those of you that have been around here for a good moment of time, you know, you could testify to this. That if you don't like me now, just stick around, right? You know, I'll say something or do something that will challenge you or make you mad. And you'll want to take your ball and go home. But I got to thinking about this more. And when people visit the Grove for the first time, and we're, we're, we just came off our back to, uh, like back to church, kind of this fall kickoff series last month, where people just, it just happens to work out, where September becomes a, a moment where people get back in church. You know, we took the summers off. And so we're, we're back in church. We're looking for a church. And, and I wonder when people come here for the first time or, or, the, or, or the 200th time, you know, what are you expecting? If you're here today for the first time, what expectations did you come with? 
Maybe you've been here for years and you've had, uh, you've had expectations for this church and, and for me. So, so what are they? Perhaps we've met some of those. Maybe over time you've lowered the bar and just settled, right? You know, they, they used to make brownies every Sunday and now it's cinnamon rolls once a year, but they're so good, so we stayed. You know, I mean, I don't know. Truth is, we do a few things different here. Not better than other churches, just better for us, for who we are, for what we're trying to do. For instance, let me go through a few of them. Our music. I've been told that our music is sometimes too loud. FYI, we provide earplugs in the back. We understand that some people have sensitive ears. Our worship leaders are known to not wear shoes from time to time. Very true story, right? Our worship style might be different, a little different than what you're used to. We don't use hymnals, right? From time to time, we throw in a traditional hymn, but our lyrics are on the screen, right? And that's different for some people. That's not how uh, they did it in the early church, right? Peter never had a screen, just the hymnal, right? Here's my deal. My experience with the hymnal, because I grew up in a church that had both. My experience with the hymnal was when I was a middle schooler, we would pass them around during the service, right? And we would tell our friends to read the title and then add the words under the covers to the end of each song. Admittedly, that was borderline blasphemous. I get it, right? But also entertaining and distracting for middle school boys, right? It got us through the service. So to prevent that from happening here, we removed them. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The middle schoolers, not the hymnals. <laughs> the, the hymnals were gone before I got here. You blame that guy. You know, I'm serious. It wasn't me. Which is ironic because that guy got blamed for a lot of things that have made this place great. And I say that because this is the kind of church that I want my kids going to. And that's important as a father. That we, we moved here for, to be a part of this church. Our band had also been known to be playing at bars and at their breweries. Our band used to be the headline of the Christmas parades. And our, our floats were awesome. If you remember, we one year had a 28-foot-long snowman guitar. Uh, another year, we had a 45-foot sled with a Grinch and a giant bag of toys on it. It, it would be so cool to do, to do that again. <laughs> um, but I remember my first year here, and I've told this story, and, and our band was about to be in the Christmas parade for the first time. And, and I had some people in the, in the church kind of go crazy, right? They could not believe that our church band would sing songs about Santa Claus because that's what our, we were going to go out there and we were going to sing songs, uh, Christmas songs. And, and here's the reality. Those people are gone, but you know who's here? The family who wasn't going to church at all who said, we loved your band. We've been looking for a church to go to and so we're going to try the Grove. My son and my husband loved your sound. And almost a decade later, that person and her family still here dedicating countless hours to our elementary and teen program. In the beginning, I was asked if we were going to have a Christmas cantata. Is that how you say it, right? And I was like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds delicious, right? You know, I'm like, and come to find out it wasn't a baked dessert. It was like an arrangement of music. Um, And so I was like, okay, let's just not call it that because I don't want people to come and thinking that we're making Christmas baked goods, right? And so... What did we do? Well, what, what fit the grove? And so I, instead we put on a live performance of Charlie Brown's Christmas. We wanted to connect with the average person. And all of my friends growing up, I, I knew that, that they didn't go to church anywhere. They, they knew who Charlie Brown was. And did you know Charlie Brown Christmas is the only Christmas special aired on national networks that retells the gospel story. And people don't even realize it. And so it's like a win-win, right? Everyone's happy. 
Our our kids and our teens, they have their own Sunday morning service. And we strongly believe it's important for families to worship together. But we also strongly believe that we all need an age-appropriate message. Those beliefs are not in conflict of each other. But we have amazing leaders who love your kids enough to sacrifice being in this service to give both you and your kids what you need. Our outreach is different. When I was a teen, we had a drama, a drama group called Living Stones, and we did what is called a human video. Church drama teams, they loved using uh, the art of mime. Anyone know what mimes are, you know? The mimes. There's only so many things mimes can tell because they don't use words. And so we're like, we got to use words now. And so we came up with human videos and we acted out the words of songs. Anyone ever heard of Carmen? I'm so sorry if you haven't. Apologies. But our drama team, we were cutting edge. And so we didn't use Christian songs, right? We did human videos like to the song by Foreigner. I want to know what love is. Anyone like that song, right? Right. It, 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 was, it was killer. Seriously. I played the part of Jesus, and when they picked me up one time to take me to the cross, they dropped me. I almost died pretending to die, right? But our approach here to, uh, to outreach and evangelism, which, by the way, all Christians are called to be evangelists, to proclaim the gospel is more relational. Our teens, they say the number one thing in our teen program is relationships. Why? Because teenagers have the best BS detector there is, right? They need to know you love them before they'll ever believe anything you say. So we try to build relationships with people in the community. And we go out and we, we're, we, we be with families, right? We pass out hot dogs and we play carnival style games with kids. And we rent some inflatables. And, and while the kids are going nuts in the inflatables, we have conversations with people. We introduce ourselves. We find out. What do we have in common? Maybe invite them to church. That's happening in two weeks. Trick or treat downtown. This is why we want you to come and help. This is a chance for you and for I to to do what we're called to do. Another expectation I've heard churches have for their pastors, 52 weeks of sermons. That doesn't happen here, right? We have multiple teachers and, and, and on Sunday mornings, and some are guests, and some are friends of mine from my past, but mostly the voices in this community, like Jody and Debbie and Matt, some of our elders and our leadership team, like Jeff and Tim and Jim, Liz, Braden, they, they, they're up on stage sharing about their lives and these, during the giving moments, telling stories, communicating the heart of giving. Because, number one, I'm not a Mike hog. I don't want this to be about me. I want to hear the other voices in our community. And I think you do too. It's important. It's who we are. This is not my show. Discipleship looks different here. If you've ever grown up church, we don't do Sunday school, right? Or at least we don't call it that. And hear me, I'm not putting down Sunday school or anyone who does Sunday school. But I remember one of my mentors in college say this. If you truly want to disciple people, don't do it on Sundays and don't call it school, right? And then that's just me. If it works for other churches, that's great. But instead, we do small groups. We believe our faith is best lived out in community. I believe that in our homes uh, and around the table, transformation happens. People connect. We share stories. We're, we're inspired to live better. Relationships are created, and we're able to go deeper together. And here's, and here's another big one. We don't have altar calls on Sunday mornings, or at least not very often. Some of you might not even know what that is. 
This is a question I get from time to time. Why don't you do altar calls? Why don't you have an invitation to accept Jesus every Sunday? And here's my answer. You just don't, right? I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up in the Assemblies of God denomination. We had some very interesting altar calls and practices. And if you grew up Baptist, you may have had altar calls every Sunday morning. Some were for accepting Jesus for the first time or the next time. And some were for joining the church. How many of you grew up being saved every, every Sunday? You want to admit it there? A few of you, honest, thank you. We're, we're in church. <clears throat> some of you grew up in traditions that did not have altar calls ever. And this is part of the reason we are non-denominational church, or better term, interdenominational. We have all different church backgrounds and experiences here. And some of us don't have any. And so we don't have a denominational affiliation. We're independent. We're elder-driven and gospel-driven. We're a community of people who wouldn't normally mix, who share a common brokenness, but it's Jesus Christ that unites us. A longer answer to the altar call question, if you're wondering, the reality is it's not something that you would even find in the scripture. It's not a practice that the early church did. It's actually extra biblical. Really, the reality is, is that it wasn't until the 19th century where this evangelist started using that. But that doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make it wrong. There are many things that we do that aren't in the Bible and that, that are good. We've just chosen not to do that practice. I believe they can be done wrong and manipulated and dangerous and often rely on emotions and persuasion and social pressure to cause people to make a decision. Never considering the cost of following Jesus. I do believe that everyone needs to respond to Jesus, though. And we do offer other ways to respond. Here we offer the easiness of filling out a connect card, telling us what's going on in your heart, sharing a prayer request, or telling us how you want to engage in community, or telling us you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. Each week, we challenge you to go out and proclaim the gospel. And at some point each week, we say, love God and love others. We have communion often. This morning, we'll, we'll take communion together. Drawing us back to the cross. Remembering the story of God and our story of finding God. And the last thing you see as you walk out the doors, painted above the doorframe, is regardless of what you put on, wear love. When you do decide to follow Jesus, it's going to involve repentance. Repentance involves turning from sin and turning towards God. But it's a condition of the heart that produces fruit, not a prayer or a raised hand, or a step forward. It's about the direction of our hearts towards God or towards the world, not both. If any man loved the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Many people want to get to heaven. Not many want to give up sin. We want to see life change here, not pass out insurance cards. Jesus said, you will know they are my disciples by the way they love one another. James says true religion that God accepts is to look after the widow and orphan in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What does it mean to be polluted by the world? Well, you see, the world doesn't understand the sanctity of life like the followers of Christ should. That life matters, but not just in the womb, but at the orphanage, in the foster program, the teen shelter, the children's home, 
or the countless numbers of kids who go unadopted and age out of the foster system and have no family. That life matters on the boat filled with refugees. Life matters for the single mom working full time on minimum wage and is still living in poverty. Life matters for the 40-year-old homeless man who can't get a steady job because he committed a felony when he was 25. The immigrant who came here the same way your relatives got here. Some of you. As a follower of Jesus, I understand that black lives should matter. Not because white lives don't. White lives have always mattered. When my son leaves the house wearing a, a hooded sweatshirt, I'm not worried that he might be shot on his way to school or called a thug by someone on Facebook. The Muslim life matters. The other, the LGBTQ, we all matter. Do you know how the early church handled the pro-life, pro-choice debate? Legislation, laws, picket signs, bombs. No. They went to where the abortions were taking place and they scooped up the child and took it as their own. And when they, they started going there earlier and taking the pregnant teenager, the single mom who was living in poverty and in hopelessness and didn't know what to do when faced with the hardest decision a mother will ever have to face. One pastor said it like this this week. I heard him, a former pastor has lost a lot of friends in this political time. He says, this is about fundamental differences in the ways in which we view the world and believe others should be treated. It's not political stuff. It's human being stuff. The way we treat others is a direct reflection of who we think God is. And if we believe God is love, and that God loves everyone, then our lives should reflect that love to others. See, all throughout the story of God that we've been telling, that Matthew has told, we see Jesus doing things that no one expected. Having meals with sinners and prostitutes. Inviting tax collectors to follow him. Healing the sick and those with disease. Restoring into community those the community said were unworthy. Kneeling at the feet of his disciples and washing their feet. That was something only a servant was supposed to do. And finally giving up his life by dying on a cross. Bloodshed, body broken for you and I. That he sent his son Not to appease an angry God who demanded a sacrifice of death, but to show the world that God so loved us. I'm going to invite the band to join me on stage. Matthew 21 begins with the story, the triumphal entry of the king. Familiar to many of you, the Palm Sunday is something we celebrate in the Christian calendar. This moment of Jesus riding on the, on the donkey into town, coming in a king who was expected, but did not meet expectations. A king who was welcome, but not welcome. But a king who invites us to join his kingdom. Watch this video. The king has returned. The prophecies fulfilled. 
years of longing are over. The king has returned. And now all will be made right. Amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy, the pleading for justice, the cries for our enemies' defeat. The king has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice. Not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land, but in our souls. He is the answer to the prayer we did not know we were praying. The king has returned. Long live the king. invite you to stand with me as we pray. God, over the next few moments, as we worship through singing and through the taking of communion, may we be reminded of this story. The story of a God that loved us so much that he would send his son as a sacrifice to restore the broken relationship man had with God. As we take part in these elements, individually and collectively, may we make the effort on our end to make room for that relationship to to be restored. There are things in our heart in our life that we can let go of. We can take hold of you. God, speak to each one of us. Find us in our hearts where we've not let you in. Where we've had our heart bent towards the world and ourselves bent away from you. Call us back. Bring us back to the table. Hear our heart. May we worship in truth. As the band begins to play, we're going to open up the tables of communion. You're welcome to be a part of that. There's a large glass where you could dip in the cup or there's small cups if you want to take an individual one. You can take it on your own at the table or back at your seat. But This is for you on your time. We won't take it as a group. But the band will play. Feel free to worship in song.